more local content. Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Now, two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Good morning, everybody. It's 7.07 on Saturday morning. Welcome to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Hope everybody is doing well this morning. A little bit rainy out on the Grand Strand this morning as we make our way, as I made my way to the studio. It was in the, the thick of a little bit of rain, but not, not too bad. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd, a local attorney here in Myrtle Beach with the firm of Davis and Boyd, attorneys at law. I'm your host for Saturday Morning Coffee. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in as we help you get your Saturday morning off to the off to the races and going on the right foot. At Saturday Morning Coffee, we invite you to sit down, pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee. Join us as we talk about the news, current events, what's happening in your world, all the things that we think you need to know. Here at Saturday Morning Coffee, we're all about, well, several things. In no particular order, we're about limited government, lower taxes, and more freedom. We're also, we're also about great coffee. Speaking of great coffee, Mr. Producer, what are you drinking this morning? Uh, good morning. It is uh, dark magic morning for me. Dark yeah. magic. That sounds uh, that sounds brooding. I, I am in Glendie the coffee guy this morning because it's going to be the coffee guy. late night last night and really needed that coffee this morning. Needed, so black magic was my choice. Needed the kick, huh? That was my weapon this that morning. That was your weapon of choice. Yeah. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is our producer extraordinaire, Mr. Glendie, a great American. Uh, Glenn, <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. Welcome welcome to your Saturday morning coffee. Hey, and I appreciate the shout out on Liz's show yesterday, Reese. Oh, did you, kind hear, of you. did you catch that? Yeah. I, I listen to, I'm a listener. You're a listener you know, as well. Not just, I don't just work here i actually listen i'm not just a customer i'm the president exactly yeah exactly and you know i'm always up it's um like they say if you're doing what you love you'll never work a day in your life yeah that's uh that is true yeah and uh we invite you guys to uh, let us know what you're drinking this morning you can join us on the show at uh via the old-fashioned call-in line if you want to go by voice 843-903-2945 you can also Text us your comments to the text line at 843-798-8255. That's 798-TALK. 843-798-8255 is the text line. You can tweet me at at Reese Boyd is the Twitter handle, at Reese Boyd. You can send your comments via email to SMC at gmail.com. And uh, you, if you want to reach me after the show during normal business hours, you can also reach me at the offices of Davis and Boyd Attorneys at Law. That number is 843-839-9800. Interesting, Glenn, I've had a few callers calling me uh, during the workday at work, which is fine. I'm happy to hear from you. Yeah. And, and I love, love to chat with people who are listening to the show, what they think. It's just funny to me that people will call the office and uh, I, you know, I'll, get a, I'll get a buzz back and she says, so-and-so, so-and-so on the phone. And, She's like, I'm like, well, who? I don't recognize that name. Who's that? Okay. 
She listens to you on the radio. So that's the so now the, the that's secret's the new out. Thing. If, you yeah. wanna, if you want to get me on the phone, just say you listen to me on the radio. She puts you right through. Well, that's great. And, of course, like you said, 843-903-2945. Join the conversation. Join the conversation. And um, we've got a good show coming up for you. We are, again, in our expanded two-hour format. So we'll be with you for two full hours today during the second cup hour. We were going to have a guest. I'm not sure that the guest is going to be able to join us. We'll get to that. But uh, got a great show nonetheless. Hope you guys will stick with us for the duration. Again, I'm Reese Boyd, local attorney here in town with the firm of Davis & Boyd. Part-time radio host, local, uh, local uh, talk uh, talker. Uh, and uh, commenter, I'm your guide and your narrator on this expedition into broadcast excellence, where we do our best not only to entertain, but also to inform and enlighten you and help make you a better citizen of the republic. Which I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm worried these days we all need to be better citizens of the republic. And I'm not just saying that because it sounds good. I seriously believe that we are at a dire, dire crossroads in our nation's history, and we all need to stay abreast of everything that we can that's happening around us, because a lot of it is not good. As I said, here at Saturday Morning Coffee, we're all about limited government, lower taxes, and other things that we can do to keep government out of your hair, because that means more freedom for you and for me, and for all the people who are we the people. We've got a country to save. It starts right here on the local level with us. So uh, let's get to it. And uh, the first thing I wanted to mention, uh, Glenn, is uh, the impeachment saga, of course. You got any predictions for us? I've got a prediction or two. <laughs> I do. I'd love to hear yours first, though. I'll let you. I'll, let, I'll, I'll be easy. I'll let you hear mine first. You know, I, I don't think it's going anywhere. And I'm not, I don't want to spend uh, the one thing I noticed. Um, one thing I noticed this week as I was doing the show prep, I am just I'm impeachment fatigued. Oh, yeah. Everybody's talking about impeachment. Let's, you know, I mean, it, it, no, but I'm it, fatigued. it's wearing yeah. us out. I'm yeah. tired of hearing about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally, I, I I wish I could just meet Adam Schiff in, in an alley and just tell him a few things. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. I might show him a few things. <laughs> but he's just such a, he's just, the, the whole thing is so absurd. It's so over the top. I mean, think about this. Think about this. Just consider all that they have put us through. And, and have you noticed, by the way, that the uh, the Horowitz report, the IG's report, mm -hmm. very little coverage, very little coverage. For months now on CNN, as we have discussed at length on this show, right. it has been wall-to-wall -wall impeachment coverage. Mm -hmm. All impeachment, all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's the new CNN logo, all impeachment, all the time. But the minute that Hor Michael Horowitz starts talking about all the abuses— and the criminal referrals out of the FBI against, you know, FBI, all of a sudden they zip up. Shh, Shh quiet. Yeah, yeah. Shh, be this very quiet. Be very quiet. Yeah, don't. <laughs> We're hunting rabbit. <laughs> be very, I mean, what? why? I mean, I know why. It's a rhetorical yeah. question. Yeah. But it's, you know, if Lindsey Graham is talking about the deficiencies of the process, now get that, on, in the Senate, you know, on the... This week in the Senate, we, we had a hearing where Lindsey Graham was excluded, but they let the minority speak. I mean, these, these things are unheard of, yeah. you know. And so when Lindsey Graham is talking about the deficiencies of the, the underlying investigation, the deficiencies, the obvious deficiencies in the prosecution, so to speak, or in the, in the inquiry phase of this matter, um, they don't 
they don't carry that. But yet, they the the all the prelude to this three years of nonstop impeachment coverage they've covered twenty four seven wall to wall coverage. It's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Fake news. It's fake. And, it is. And, fake and news. honestly, I think Webster should give that honor to Donald Trump because he coined fake news, in my opinion. Did he really coin it? I, I, I think he sure. co- did. He coin it. I, I I don't know. We really didn't hear much he, about fake news until we had a president that he certainly brought it. He certainly brought it to in, the forefront yeah. into the national uh, lexicon, so to speak. Yeah. But it's interesting. I don't think the uh, I don't think the proceedings are going anywhere. And and think about this. Think about this. After all that we've been through, everything that we've heard, um, you know, the all the countless allegations that have been made. Everything that we with the fight over the tax returns, the you know the porn stars, the tax returns, the emoluments clause, the twenty you know the twenty sixth amendment, everything yeah. that we've heard about, uh, Russian collusion, 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 Russian interference in elections, uh, then uh, the horror, the, uh, the Ukrainian, and we, we we jump from Russia to Ukraine, all that we've had to deal with, you know, Nancy Pelosi opened this up with bribery, okay. Mm-hmm. Very clear when she opened up the, and it was very clear, by the way, when she announced the impeachment inquiry that he was going to be impeached. Mm-hmm. I mean, very clear, and it's been that clear. It's never been unclear to me from the the moment this process began. But after all this, we get obstruction of Congress and abuse of power. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And 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 the other thing to think about, and by the way, all three branches of government as intended by the founders as set forth in the constitution are co-equal branches of government for congress to say well you're obstructing congress is about as absurd as donald trump uh attempting to remove members of congress from office right for not supporting his programs right they have the right to support him or not because they were elected just like he was yep. so it's just absurd that we are here and that we are where we are. But I don't think that the uh, the interesting question for me now is what sort of evidence will they hear in the Senate? Will they will the Senate try to put on real evidence? Because think about this. What we what have we heard in the House? There was one fact witness, Ambassador Gordon Summerlin, mm-hmm. Sunderland, and he was the one person who had some tidbits of fact laced into his testimony some of them hearsay much of it hearsay frankly and now his testimony by the way has been contradicted by the ukrainians so Zelensky and others around Zelensky have now contradicted the ambassador's testimony which was the only fact witness <laughs> in the middle of this whole charade yeah. the their own the, the only fact witness for the prosecution has now been contradicted and under, undercut by the ukrainians who, nope. are, who are supposedly the partners you know the the, the objects of the uh, of the quid pro quo and the extortion and all that, and everybody else who's talked on these multitude you know these these multitudinous days of hearings that we've had, essentially are like you know law professors opining on why they think Trump is a bad guy. Right? Who cares? Yeah. You know, <laughs> who cares? It's funny when they talk about um, the you know it's a solemn day you know in in America that you know we're moving forward with impeachment and you're looking at these Democrats mm-hmm. um, and you know that in their head they're doing backflips in their brain you know they're happy they're not solemn this is a show and 
Well, um, what is solemn? What is solemn? And this is the very serious side of all this. What is solemn is the very significant damage that the Democrats have done to constitutional government and to the social fabric by the way that they have handled this. They have they have handled this in a manner that has degraded the political debate in this country. It has weakened our social fabric. It has weakened our constitutional form of government. It has put us all in increased danger, and they should be ashamed of themselves. I mean, how they hold their heads up and walk around, I don't know. But we'll see what happens. We'll be back with the predictions, which we didn't get to, right after these words from our sponsors. Stick around. We'll be right back with more Saturday Morning Coffee. Saturday Morning Coffee. Call the show at 843-903-2945. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour returns after these on Talk 94.5. Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. You can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we can walk it out. Move mountains, we can walk it out and move mountains. And Good morning, everybody. 723 on your Saturday morning. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Just before the break, we were talking about the uh, ongoing uh, impeachment soap operatic drama. (laughs) It's entertaining. It's entertaining. So uh, I predict, Glenn, you were asking what my prediction was. I predict that Obviously, I don't think it's going anywhere in the nope. Senate. I think the question is, what will the Senate do? How procedurally will they deal with this? And will they try to put on some witnesses to show, you know, what a farce the the whole thing is and to try to turn the spotlight back on Schiff? Oh, I believe they will. Back on Nadler. My, my sense is that, that there, there may be some effort to try to deal with this in kind of a procedural because a public opinion is already turning against the Democrats. On yes, this. it's already turning against impeachment. And that's been that's been clear for at least two to three weeks now. Yeah. And so my thought is maybe maybe the folks on the Senate side, maybe Republicans on the Senate side, maybe. And I think Mitch McConnell's played this well. I think Lindsey Graham, Senator Graham has done an excellent job um, positioning this. I think maybe they've already decided they've won. And the thing to do is to just dismiss it. Not even have, not even take any further testimony. Just dismiss it as uh, treated as the equivalent of a of a prosecutor that didn't meet his burden, and just dismiss the thing out of hand. Not even, not even have a trial. I'm not, I'm not clear. It's not clear to me how they exactly how how they will do that, but I suspect that they may try to just dispose of it uh, in that fashion. So I don't think there's going to be a um, a full blown trial in the Senate. That's mm-hmm. my feeling. I think they'll figure out some way to short circuit that because. I think they're like everybody else. They're sick of hearing about this. They want to demonstrate what a farce it is on the one hand. 
it would be nice to put Schiff on the stand and cross-examine him about, I mean, it's clear they engaged in wrongdoing. Right. I mean, it's clear. Right. It is absolutely clear that, that there was a concerted scheme involving the whistleblower. He talked to Schiff. He, there, there, were, there were inappropriate communications. I mean, let's just call it what it is. It was a conspiracy. Right. And so if you delved into that in, in testimony uh, b- before this, on the Senate side, you could perhaps build a narrative that would be helpful to Trump, helpful to Republicans, help uh, illuminate this impeachment fiasco, nothing burger, as we called it yesterday, right. uh, for what it is. But I don't know that I don't the, the you know, the, the other side of the coin is you've won, you know, and then kind of the, the, the age old one of the adages, one of the age old adages of politics is, you know, when you've won, get off the court, you know. And so, uh, you know, if you if you're winning and, and, the, and the polls are moving in your direction, maybe the thing to do is just shut it down, which I think I think they may try to do. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah, I think they shot, I think the Democratic Party has shot themselves in the foot. Just my opinion. Um, I, I think it's uh, backfire, or uh, we've used this term quite a bit on your show, boomerang. Yeah, I uh, call it crossfire boomerang. Yeah. Speaking of crossfire boomerang, uh, Mr. Producer, that's an excellent segue into the crossfire boomerang update. If I can fast forward in my stack here, I, well, I wish I had a boomerang sound effect. Yeah, handy. We, need a, we need a boomerang. Sound effect. <laughs> they don't make much noise until they hit something, though. But it's it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting to me to consider exactly you know yeah i think i know more or less what's going to happen in the senate and it it generally boils down to nothing and the question is what kind of show will we get well you know what what are we going to get on the way to nothing because it is it's a nothing burger nothing is going to happen there's going to be no impeachment of president trump trump is going to win and not only is he going to win he's going to win big I mean, this I think ultimately this is going to translate into a huge victory for the president. I mean, he said it himself. This this may wind up. I mean, he's kind of Churchillian about it in some sometimes, not always. We have to. There are other times we need to deal with some of the things the president says. (laughs) That's true. But sometimes he's absolutely Churchillian about it. He said, you know, this may be our finest hour. And he may well be right. I mean, I mean, I think that this could be an absolute home run victory for him and uh and i hope it is frankly he he deserves it because this this whole impeachment fiasco is uh there's there's nothing not only is there nothing to it it's one thing it is one thing to have a case brought by a prosecutor glenn where there is ultimately determined to be no evidence and for whatever reason the prosecutor just got off on the wrong foot you know he got started he he got a tip or she got a tip they went off on an, an investigative tangent they thought they had something turns out they did most in most instances where rational fair people are involved who are worried about the rule of law um you know those things those situations correct themselves didn't correct itself not only did it not correct itself here but it is in now evident that they falsified evidence in order to support the renewal of the fisa warrant i mean the laundry list of things that we can i get tired of recounting the tale you know i mean the the funny thing is listening to the inspector general's testimony and the various things that have been said in by some press outlets since. And even you see little tidbits where CNN is starting to lose confidence in the narrative. But, you know, they're now saying, yeah, yeah, the Steele dossier was put together by a guy who was a political hack, former British intelligence guy who hated Trump. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he hated Trump. He wrote the Steele dossier. And guess what? The DNC paid for it. They ran the money through Perkins Coy Law Firm. 
and 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 with the assistance of the uh, of the Clinton campaign and Fusion GPS, they put together essentially a political hit piece that became the basis for the FBI making an application with the FISA court for a FISA warrant to spy on the Trump campaign. The whole thing was a fraud to begin with. It's amazing that it got the legs to go as far as it did. Yeah, absolutely. You would, you would have thought somebody had, would have killed it, uh, you know, as it was introduced. Well, it just goes to show you, in in my humble opinion, how widespread we are talking about deeply endemic problems. Yeah. That that everybody inside the Beltway, in one degree or another, is implicit in all this stuff. There are very few people who are truly outsiders. Yeah, you and I think, how in any how could anybody in their right mind have allowed this to progress to the extent that it has, even after they went and got the warrant on false pretenses with a document that they knew contained false, false information. Yeah. They went back and they renewed it. And then back to the crossfire boomerang update, the, you know, the former uh, FBI agent that was involved, Kevin Kleinsmith, now is, there's, a DO, there's, there's a criminal referral because it's clear, based on the information that's in the IG report, that he um, altered evidence. They literally altered evidence, which was then used as a basis for the renewal of the FISA warrants. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I don't think that this um, that this FBI agent is the lone guy with cul- <laughs> culpability here. No. I think you're going to find ultimately that that chickens are going to come home to roost, yeah. as we say. Crossfire boomerang is uh, is coming home to roost, and I think Comey has some. Yeah, <laughs> I, think Comey, I think Comey's got some. Issues. I think Comey has some issues, and I think I think that we we have not seen the end of this. Um, I think with Durham on the on the hunt. And with Attorney General Barr, but where is Chris Ray? Where is FBI Director Chris Ray? He's been as quiet as Jeff Sessions lately. <laughs> I mean, really. So, a lot to see yet. We'll be interested to see how it all unfolds. Stick with us. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Don't leave town. Local news and more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5. Out of the shadows, bound for the gallows, a dead man walking to love came calling. Rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, six feet under. I thought it was over. And let's a prayer. Good morning, everybody. 735 on your Saturday morning. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. We are in the midst of Political upheaval, turmoil in the world. Want to jump across the pond to the election of Boris Johnson yeah. as a uh, the, re- the continuing prime minister of Britain on behalf of the Conservative Party delivered a sweeping victory this week. It's because he's getting some stuff done. He's getting it done. Yeah. You know, the, the interesting thing, I think that they're, they're trying to downplay this in the media, Glenn, but I think the interesting thing is there are stark... Uh, there are a few stark differences, but there are amazing similarities between Trump and yeah. Johnson. And and there was an interesting article that came out in the Journal, the Wall Street Journal, uh, this past week, just before the election. And it said, a British test for the populist revolution. This is Gerald 
uh, Baker, again in the Wall Street Journal, and, and interestingly enough, just draws parallel after parallel with Trump and said, you know, much of the working class feels ignored by the country's leadership, and even the messaging that the uh, the liberal party, labor, has typically used in the past is just not resonating. And people are just tired of hearing it. They're tired of hearing the same old, tired, progressive, um, you know, big government solutions to their problems. And because they realize that they're just not working. And so I think uh, Johnson has a like an 80 seat. I don't have the exact number in front of me. I think it's like an 81 something, 80 something seat majority in parliament, which is huge. Yeah. Huge. I mean, so it's a mandate. And there were, you know, there was some discussion. And of course, the guy he's running against uh, in the election, Jeremy Corbyn, I mean, he's basically a communist. I mean, so it's like a stark contrast on the political scale. But Johnson is not, you know, Johnson is not a, a, a hardline conservative in every respect. But like you said, that's why he reminds me so much of Trump. Uh, Trump did not run as a hardline conservative Republican. He right. ran as a as sort of a pragmatic, get things done kind of guy. Yeah. And that's kind of the president that he's been. But I'd, I would argue he's been a he's been true to, you know, I mean, he's a little uh, he breaks with what I would call Republican orthodoxy on trade. But he's pursued his trade policy in a way that makes sense right. in a very in a very business minded sense. And he's making progress. He's making progress. I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit that uh, Republican orthodoxy on on trade had, had gotten us into some bad agreements, mm-hmm. you know, along with a lot of other factors. But Trump has been very business oriented in his approach two trade agreements and he's he's made great progress and i think we're going to continue to see progress and in much the same way boris johnson's just kind of a get things done kind of guy yeah and quite honestly boris johnson like we say get things done and i think our president would like to get more done but right now congress is so caught up on this impeachment that we're not getting anything done there's so many things we need to address in this country uh, infrastructure that was huge. That's, yeah. That brings jobs. It brings money. It, it it takes care of a lot of things. Let's fix the inf- infrastructure. We're not going to get to that till maybe next year sometime. Well, and, and, and didn't you love how they announced a tra- Nancy Pelosi yeah. realized she had a huge problem, so she announced the trade agreement on the same day. Yeah. You know, the MCAA the, is announced the same day that they announced the impeachment of the president. For that for that very reason, I think they were trying to CYA, and they realized that, that the American people, by and large, now are fed up mm-hmm. that they haven't been getting anything done. They've been pursuing this ridiculously silly nothing burger of an impeachment inquiry, and and they have nothing to show for it. Yeah. They have nothing, nothing to show for it. Was that nothing? That was nothing. <laughs> nothing. You, you seemed a little adamant about you that know, nothing. Though. You know, sometimes that's, that's the the uh, you know the lawyer coming out in you. Sometimes in in court, you yeah. have to say things. Yeah. You have to say things three or four times to make sure they hear you. You know, so they have nothing, nothing, yeah. nothing, nothing to show for it. You know, yeah. and they really don't. It's insanity. I, I still, I can't believe. I never thought I would live to see something as 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 farcical as what this impeachment uh, nonsense has become. But the good news, I think this this Boris Johnson election just sort of foretells a, a, I think the victory will continue. I think the same dynamic that has swept Johnson uh, back into power is the same dynamic that's going to, by and large, going to propel Trump. There's some variations here. I think the impeachment inquiry has backfired, as you said. I think the, I think the uh, the Democrats are writing their own death certificate, and and I think Trump's going to, sw- I think he's going to swing to a, uh, I think this upcoming election, 2020, 
could be like a repeat of I'm trying to think of a good example like the Reagan Reagan, Mondale election you know where it's just a landslide yeah I don't I don't see anybody on the Democratic side taking votes away from and Trump. And yes, I understand there are people that do not like Trump. I understand that people think that his Twitter account is sometimes an embarrassment. I understand that, but you can't impeach because you don't like somebody. Yeah. You don't like uh, him. You That's... can't impeach because you lost the election, your party lost the election. Um and it's not a popular conversation to have with somebody that um doesn't like Trump. Yeah. You and, know. And they truthfully have been at this since the very moment he was elected even before they were anticipating you know i think uh what would happen in the event that trump was elected and as you said you you may not like the president i have a problem with some of the things that the the president we all do any any educated person is gonna have a problem with that sometimes (laughs) you just want to say mr president settle down just go have a you know go have a beer put the the twitter down put the twitter phone down and you know boris doesn't always agree with trump he's he's spoken out against trump as i said there's you know there's some there's an interesting dynamic there they're not they're not carbon copies of one another by any means so it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. But I think the Boris Johnson victory, for lots of reasons, uh, foretells, again, I think what will be a massive, uh, I'll just go on record, that's my prediction. Been pretty good on our records of predictions. We need to start keeping score. I've got a couple in the, uh, in the notebook. But, yeah, I think there's going to be a significant margin of victory that Trump is going to enjoy in, yeah. in 2020. And I think he, he will be re-elect, reelected by a, a significant margin. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So we'll switch gears for a minute. Glenn, I want a question for you. Movie trivia. Have you seen A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? Oh, no, I have not. Yeah, I was mm. going to try to get my son to come on and do a movie review. Uh, we went to see A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood last weekend, and uh, we had some family members with us. And about uh, halfway through the movie, my son said, Dad, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's funny because... You know, quite a few people, uh, I'd read several stories that, you know, led me to believe that this was going to be a good family-friendly movie, but uh, needless to say, not particularly well-received by some members of the of the Boyd household. So it was not did not receive two thumbs up. Uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is uh, something of a uh, Rorschach test, is what I would call it. It's like, what do you see in it? Interesting question. Um, but I never liked, interestingly enough, I didn't really particularly care for the movie myself, but I never really liked watching uh, Mr. Rogers as a kid. I remember watching Mr. Rogers as a kid, and I thought Mr. Rogers was a little creepy when I was a kid. <laughs> and you know, t- and Tom Hanks does a great job playing uh, Mr. Rogers. It's, but it's interesting to me, you know, Mr. Rogers has been an icon for you know what decades, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I. Um, it didn't particularly enjoy the movie. It just got a little tiresome. And my my father-in-law and my son were both. Oh my goodness, they were not they were not uh, thrilled to be in the theater. Um, but it was interesting to um, to see how he responded. I was curious what they would do with it. There were some there were some encouraging articles that I'd read. But so my son and I have on our movie list. We want to go see uh, Ford versus Ferrari, but I, which I still have not seen. But did not particularly enjoy. A um, uh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. He's not he's not happy with my selection of movies this past weekend. <laughs> did you tell him that he was a Navy SEAL? Wasn't was Mister Rogers a Navy SEAL? I didn't I did not know that. He may I, have been. I, I know he was in the Navy. Yeah. Um, I yeah, remember he was, he, he, he was a veteran. Yeah, he wore long sleeves to cover up his tattoos. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, interesting. Um, I I went and saw a movie last week, last Christmas. 
What did you uh, see? Last Christmas. Last Christmas. Yeah, How was that? and it reminded the the star of it. Um, what is her name? Uh, Emma Thompson. Uh-huh. She reminded me of my daughter the whole way through. Oh, I mean, yeah. the whole way through, I thought of my daughter. Oh yeah. So. I like Emma Thompson. It's uh, a good movie. Yeah. Go check I, it out. I haven't seen that. So speaking of uh, video and movies and interesting, I had a um, you know we all wonder at times whether we are uh, sufficiently woke enough to lead our children into the uh, into uh, into society. But I had a conversation with my son. Uh, about the uh, forthcoming, well, it's actually, it's out. It's been out. It's uh, on Apple TV. It's on Disney Plus, which we were, we've been thinking about, uh, been thinking about cutting the cable. And I don't know, do you have cable, Glenn? What's your oh, yeah. I well, have a cable, DVR, yeah. Well, it's interesting <laughs> because for, you know, several months now, my, uh, my wife and I have been debating the possibility of, uh, Cutting the cord. Cutting the cord because yeah. most of what my kids watch is they generally watch Netflix. Yep. Interestingly enough, from the Wall Street Journal, the paper of record for American civilization at the moment, until we find something better, about $44 a month is what most Americans are willing to spend per month for streaming entertainment. Most Americans are now subscribing to 3.6 streaming services. That's the average uh, number of uh, services that Americans are willing to pay for. And the number of people who are willing to consider cutting the cable cord within one year, what do you think that number is? You know, I don't know. I love my cable. I love my HTC. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I like it. The thing that I've been worried about is sports. I don't want to lose, you know, my ability to watch college football. I have the NFL football. channel, the Red Zone. Yeah, you know. but I've got um, I've got friends that have gone with uh, YouTube Plus, mm-hmm. and they say that, you know, the football that you want is there. Yeah. And uh, so one in five, one in five is the number of individuals, current cable subscribers, who are seriously considering cutting the cord within the next year. The next 18 months, this again is the Wall Street Journal, uh, the next 18 months are going to be the most interesting year and a half in the history of the entertainment business in the United States. Really? Hmm. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. hmm. Well, I did get a Fire Stick uh, Black Friday. Did you get a Fire Stick? Yeah, and it's got a lot of stuff oh, on yeah. it, too. I mean, yeah. but Amazon Prime is important to me as well. I think we're going to go with the Apple TV, but I'm not... 100% sure, yeah. but we'll finish that discussion after the break. Stick with us. We've got a few words from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with more Saturday Morning Coffee. Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, is now two full hours. More Reese coming up next on Talk 94.5. Thanks for waking up with Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. You can call Reese Boyd on the 94.5 call-in line at 843-903-2945, or you can text Reese at 843-798-8255. That's 798-TALK. Now, back to the Reese Boyd Saturday Morning Coffee. Thank you, Glenn. 7.50 on Saturday morning here with your host, Reese Boyd, on Saturday Morning Coffee. Glenn gave you the numbers. 
feel free to call. And also, Glenn, I want to point out that uh, in addition to the phones and the text, they can also Twitter, Twitter, Twitter us. They can tweet us. <laughs> Twitter. Twitter us. They can Twitter us. <laughs> at Reese Boyd is the Twitter handle. You can also email me your comments to ReeseBoydSMC at gmail.com. We'll take emails as well. I want to remind everybody, Glenn, that the hum- your humble host does have a prize box in the studio here with me. Prize uh, box. Prize box. Got a couple of Starbucks gift cards in here. I see a couple of Saturday morning coffee t-shirts for the appropriate caller. If we get a caller that contributes to the show in a meaningful fashion with an intelligent <laughs> comment. Uh, We're not we calling will, out anybody in, in particular. Nobody though. in particular. <laughs> We will, in the absolute discretion of our judges, the panel's decision is final. <laughs> there is no appeal. In the absolute discretion of our judges, we may award a prize to include T-shirts, Starbucks gift cards, etc. from the Saturday Morning Coffee gift box, which is sitting right at the feet of your humble host. So call us, text us, or hit us with an email. We'll be glad to hear from you. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, Glenn, we were talking about streaming and media content mm-hmm. and cable cutting the cord before the break. And as I mentioned, I was having a discussion with, uh, you know, there's an interesting story in the Wall Street Journal. Speaking of which, uh, interesting story in the Wall Street Journal. This actually this one I've been holding on to. This one is from December 7. But it's an article from the exchange section. Disney disturbs the force. Well, I knew that already, frankly. But let me tell you why I knew that. The um, conversation I had with my son a couple of uh, weeks ago, I said we were talking about cutting the cable. And I said, uh, Reese, would you be interested in going with uh, Apple TV? We'll get an Apple TV and we'll, we'll cancel the cable subscription and we'll go with, you know, Disney Plus. We'll add a Disney Plus subscription. We already have Netflix. Like I said before the break, Netflix is all they watch. Yeah. I mean, it's astonishing to me. They don't. They do not turn on the cable box. They'll leave it turned off, and they will go to Netflix because Netflix goes directly into the TV, yep. and they'll select what they want to watch, and that's what they that's that's what they do. Yep. And so, I was talking to him about uh, possibly adding Disney Plus to the mix. I'd read some stuff about, or I'd seen some of the offerings that they have on there. We've talked about the fact that Apple is getting into the movie production business. So there's some interesting stuff that's available through Apple TV, or looks to be interesting. I haven't actually seen any of it. And we were talking about uh, the Mandalorian. I asked Reese, my son, uh, RB4, we call him, uh, about the Mandalorian. And he looked at me like, Manda who? <laughs> and I said, you haven't heard about the Mandalorian? And he said, Dad, who is the Mandalorian? I said, how do you not know who the Mandalorian is? If you don't know who the Mandalorian is, then I'm going to suggest you probably don't know who Baby Yoda is. Uh, okay, yeah. And okay. he looked at me like, oh, Baby Yoda. Uh, really? Baby Yoda's gotten it, some pretty good airtime. Baby Yoda. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, but it's funny to me, you know, when I was a kid and Star Wars was, I mean, fresh, still very fresh uh-huh. and, and, uh, and it just come out. I mean, we hung on every little bit of information that was available about, uh, you know, the Star Wars movies and and everything we could learn. And it was, you know, when I remember when the third one came out, uh, Revenge of the Jedi, I mean, I think my my school may have let out early. I mean, everybody was going straight to the movie (laughs) theater, so... Um, but and anyway, that was only George Lucas too. That was before Disney got. Involved. Oh, that was long before. Yeah, yeah that was goodness yeah. gracious. Uh, that yeah. was in the eighties when uh, Return of the Jedi came. Boy, out. did he make a ton of money Ooh. on Star Wars. Speaking of which, in the article, <clears throat> which I already understood from conversations with my son, 
Disney dis- Disney <clears throat> Disney disturbs the force. The rise of Skywalker, which of course is the forthcoming segment in mm-hmm. in this trilogy, likely to be the last for a while. The rise of Skywalker looms as a big hit, and everyone loves this. Again, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, everyone loves Baby Yoda, except for my son and his <laughs> friends who haven't heard about Baby Yoda apparently. But the Magic Kingdom also faces a disgruntled contingent of Star Wars fans, a string of fired directors, and a spinoff that left audiences cold. What's next? They're going to hit pause. It was 2013 when Disney purchased, you mentioned uh, George Lucas making money, purchased the Star Wars franchise from Lucasfilm Limited for the astonishingly, astonishingly low bargain basement price of... Four billion U.S. Four billion dollars. <clears throat> Glenn, I think if we could put four billion in the bank, uh, we'd be we we'd probably it would probably impact our quality of life. It would change my weekend plans. I think it would change my plans. <laughs> I think it would have a significant impact on my quality of life. But I'll leave it there. Disney bought a world created by the visionary George Lucas and plugged it into its franchise-making machine, hoping to turn the investment into an interconnected product chain of merchandise, theme park attractions, films that uh, promise years of future revenue for Disney shareholders. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. The Star Wars business so far has been good for Disney. The Force Awakens, the first film in the new trilogy, grossed $937 million domestically, that's in the U.S., still the most of any movie in box office history. Disney's new streaming service launched in November, Disney Plus, with the Star Wars spinoff The Mandalorian as a centerpiece. It seems to have been well received. Again, I'm paraphrasing. Disney has premiered one episode of Mandalorian each week, a strategy that has allowed it to reignite the buzz with every week about the new streaming service. They also have theme park attractions at Disneyland in California and Disney World called uh, Galaxy's Edge. But uh, the end result is there have been some missteps. And so not everybody is happy uh, with what Disney is doing. And I had, the, I had the strong sense long before this article came out, long even before I had my conversation with my son, that the whole Disney thing was not uh, really something that, Star War- that old school Star Wars fans were necessarily unanimous in supporting. The second episode, uh, the 2017 release of The Last Jedi, Revenues went down 33% from the initial film. The spinoff film Solo, about the younger days of Han Solo, was poorly received and underwhelmed audiences. Fans have held off visiting the theme park attraction while a promised second ride is behind schedule. The final film in the trilogy, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, is due in theaters December 19. Disney has indicated that it needs to take a moment after that release to assess its strategy. We're going to hit pause, Disney chief executive Robert Iger said on a call with Wall Street analysts last month. And um, lots of interesting uh, uh, comments there about the business, but essentially the idea being that Disney has just oversaturated and attempted to monetize the, uh, the Star Wars mythology and the universe a little too aggressively and uh, not all fans are happy about it so it'll be interesting to see what happens after this movie comes out we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors don't leave town text us 843-798-TALK Saturday morning coffee the Reese Boyd radio hour on talk 94.5 
Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. And more coming up next on Talk 94.5. Good morning, 8.06 on your Saturday morning, Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Now two hours in length. It's the hour that keeps on giving. Thank you guys for sticking around. Hope you'll stick with us for the balance of the show. This is the the soon-to-be-famous second cup bonus hour, the second cup hour of Saturday morning coffee. Thanks to your good feedback. Speaking of feedback, uh, Glenn, we got a text Momentarily ago, clarifying that, in fact, Mr. Rogers is not, was not a veteran, so we apologize if we misspoke. Yeah. Always always seek to be factual on, uh, in everything that we say. I I thought I remembered reading that somewhere, but... It's been, I, I did too, but... It, um, my, apparently our, not, not the case. A, uh, a inside informant says that uh, it was all made up. All made years, up. Years ago. Years ago. Yeah. Popular myth. Speaking of which, uh, Glenn, the internet, uh, before we get to the internet, I got a technology update coming up for you guys, but uh, we'll spend a moment on our Democratic uh, POTUS contenders, the Democratic candidates for president. Wall Street Journal now says the campaign entering the winnowing phase. Of course, Kamala Harris is out as of last week. She's uh, indicated um, she's not in the race. And, you know, it's interesting. If you go back to the early days of the campaign when there was, you know, 427 candidates <laughs> yeah. and Kamala Harris was attempting to uh, rise to the top, she, she, she self-billed herself as a top-tier candidate. She's, um, you know, when you're a top-tier candidate like me, she was quoted as saying several times. Now that she has exited the field uh, because her campaign was going nowhere. She uh, couldn't afford it. She could not afford a continued, right. a continued effort. But now she's talking about how old and white the field is and how uh, women of color have no place in, in the Democratic uh, political debate. And I'm like, well, where, 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 were, where were these feelings when you entered the race uh, several months ago as a top-tier candidate, mm-hmm. self, uh, self-anointed, uh, by the way, top-tier, top-tier candidate? So it's interesting how her perspective has changed. Uh, Warren, of course, in free fall, uh, having released her, you know, her her nonsensical uh, Medicaid Medicaid for all that billionaires uh, will pay for, and then trying to explain her way out of uh, the confiscatory wealth tax that she would, which is flatly unconstitutional, by the way. You know, we had to have an income tax uh, constitutional amendment just to make the income tax legal. Well, there's Never, you know, a tax on wealth is flatly unconstitutional. And so why we've continued to debate it, I'm, I'm, it's not entirely clear to me, but it's completely flatly, unequivocally, without question, unconstitutional. I mean, wealth tax, what is that? Let's think about that for a minute, just as a quick mm-hmm. aside, because we don't want to spend a lot of time on this because it's really not worth talking about. <laughs> but wealth tax means you're worth $100, and at the, end of the, at the end of the year, because you are worth $100, the IRS comes to you and says, well, you're worth 100 so you owe me 8 So suddenly you're worth $92. And they come back the next year and they say, well, you're worth 92 so you owe me 7 etc. It's basically mm-hmm. taking from you because you have it. There's no other basis for the tax. Right. We call that confiscation, Glenn. Yeah, pretty much. Wealth confiscation is what a wealth tax is. It's it's asset seizure by the government under color of law. But 
notwithstanding having released her medical records and, and done various other things to shore up her poll numbers, uh, Warren going nowhere after these discussions. So it'll be uh, interesting to see what happens. Uh, Bloomberg, of course, some others have entered the race. I don't think Bloomberg, you know, mm-hmm. Bloomberg is now in, in, uh, in, in, on record as having noted and directed, you know, through his, uh, you know, Bloomberg news service and agencies, directed his editorial and, and reporting staff that while they should not uh, do comparative pieces favoring him over his Democratic opponents, but directing them to go after Trump as hard as they possibly can. And this is a respect, a quote unquote, respected news gathering organization, a respected press outlet. And this is just one example of how authoritarian these folks on the left are. And and that's the essence, that is the essence, in my opinion, of the message that, that Republicans have to make is just how authoritarian these folks really are at the core Mm -hmm. and what the impact would be for each of us on our day-to-day lives um, of having these folks in office. How how many people do you think will fold like a cheap lawn chair before the end of the year? Oh, I think uh, there'll be be several more that will drop out. We've got uh, 17 days till the end of the year. Yeah, I think we'll lose. I'm not sure who will lose. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't lose a couple more before the end of the year. Certainly, I think by the first of the year that the 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 wall street journal predicts a couple more um will uh, will drop so it'll be interesting to see but i don't see the message that any of them have resonating or going anywhere again i, I think trump is headed i think the democrats as you have said as well have shot themselves in the foot i think i think the president is going to cruise to re-election and uh, it'll be uh, another four years of uh, president trump so yeah. So we'll see. Interesting, um, interesting article in the Wall Street Journal, Glenn, about electric cars. Speaking of speaking of authoritarian uh, regimes, and and there are folks out there that want to force you to drive an electric car. Yeah. And so, what what's your take on electric cars? Well, yeah. I you know I had four years of electronics, so yeah. I like electronics. I like working with electronics. And would I like to drive an electric car? Absolutely. I mean that uh, that pickup truck that Musk uh, introduced was really ugly. I mean, it looked like a stealth bomber, sort yeah, of. I was going to ask you about that. Um, and, but we, the, have, we haven't talked about the cyber truck yet. Yeah, but I think it was like 500 miles on a charge. It, it goes further than the other vehicles, and also the, the torque and towing uh, ability of it, and yeah. the fact that they can get up to speed really quick. Oh, it's a very torquey. I, I do not own a Tesla. And I have, uh, but I have driven a Tesla. Nice. And it is, after you drive a Tesla, and this is just my one man's opinion, after you drive a Tesla, now I've only driven it a couple of times, but after you drive a Tesla, there is a part of you that will think, well, this is the way every car should operate, Mm -hmm. you know, because it is a, there, it is a much more simplified system. But interestingly enough, uh, you know, automakers are now deep in the throes of a transition to and, and largely as a result of, of uh, what is the government has been doing in this space of a transition to infrastructure to support uh, electric, electric cars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Daimler announced uh, a week ago uh, uh, cutting thousands of jobs. Uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal. Daimler AG aims to slash thousands of jobs over the next three years and cut labor costs by $1.5 billion. The last, the latest round of cost cuts in a in a sector squeezed between huge investment in new technologies, i.e., electric cars, and falling demand for the cars that they already have. 
Then there was an article in also a lot from the Wall Street Journal today. Very interesting. Uh, They did talk about the Cybertruck, which, interestingly enough, (laughs) you know, did you see where he tried to smash the windshield? Oh, yeah, twice. And and it, in fact, (laughs) did smash. Yeah, twice. Uh, Yeah, that one that one's going to cost him. That one's going to cost him. But there was an article also, uh, in addition to the uh, Tesla Cybertruck, an article in the Wall Street Journal this week about the new Mustang, the Mach-E, which is the electronic vehicle that Ford is rolling out to compete with the Tesla, uh, specifically the Tesla 3. But it's not available yet, but it will be, um, it will be available later, I think in 20. 20- it's going to be late 2020 availability, I think is what it is. It has been a tough year. This is, uh, this is John Stoll in the Wall Street Journal. It's been a tough year for the auto industry. Global sales down 5%, and the once-hot China market is now in decline. Profits have largely stalled. Autonomous vehicles, the industry's shiniest object, need more dollars and years of R&D to go from dream to reality. Uh, the uh, Detroit announced uh, 75,000 layoffs in bits and pieces over the past year. Uh, but as of 2019, uh, and then he talks about significant investment in electronic vehicles. As of 2019, electric vehicles uh, cost more than their gasoline counterparts after uh, are cumbersome to charge. They sell fewer in the U.S. All electric vehicles are selling together in fewer numbers than the sales numbers for the Toyota Camry alone. For every eight pickups sold in America, gasoline-powered or otherwise, uh, in America, there is one pure plug-in vehicle sold. As many so-called electrics uh, use a conventional engine as well as a battery, but pure plug-ins are uh, selling in slow numbers. Uh, electric vehicles are less complex than gasoline or their diesel rivals, requiring fewer parts, people, and suppliers. Ford Motor Company introduced an electric vehicle last month, believes 30% fewer hours of labor and 50% less factory space will be needed for the battery-powered cars. Other car manufacturers have announced uh, other similar prognostications. But let's be honest, even this is, again, the Wall Street Journal, let's be honest, even the smartest auto executive does not have a crystal ball. The question for auto executives, if you fire people who know how to make the cars that people want to buy, what are you left with? People who make stuff that, at the moment, no one wants to buy. And so it's it's an interesting question that the the industry faces. Uh, This is the kind of problem that many CEOs have had to confront. Um, and it talks about various other industries that have undergone uh, transformations. But um, the best time, a lot of these car companies are making huge bets in electric car infrastructure, and they're laying people off who, who know how to make regular, good old-fashioned gasoline-powered cars, and it's not entirely clear that people are actually going to buy the electric cars. Well, didn't GM have a, this, wasn't it a strike recently where they just went back to work? It was part of the um, last oh, yeah. month's uh, the, the employment. There yeah. was like 30-some thousand workers that went back to work, and that counted towards new jobs. Yeah. Um, but the, the Mach 1 was a big seller for Ford. I, when you said Mach 3, I'm like, what happened to the Mach 2? Yeah. The I don't Mach remember e. the Mach, Mach 2. E. Yeah, Mach E. Okay, Mach, e, Mach, Mach e. Electric. But I don't remember a Mach 2, and I, I, don't think I looked was it a up. Mach 2. 1967 concept vehicle. Looks like a Corvette. I want one now that I'm seeing this. It is cool. It's called a Mach 2? Called a Mach 2. Yeah. By the way, my, my son, I wanted to get my, I'm going to try to one day to get my son to come in the studio and do the auto update. I did this just for him. And he said, but he, my son's become a car guy. And he came to me one day and he said, Dad, uh, should my first car 
should it be a a Corvette or a Mustang? Nice. He's and got I said, and I said, ambition. I said, Reese, that's a that's a very interesting question. I think we need to broaden the universe of potential cars a little bit. Yeah. So, interesting, um, interesting thing about electric cars, though. We'll see what happens, but it's a big bet by the industry, and we'll see if you guys want to drive electric cars. Uh, interesting question. You're the boss, after all. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning Saturday coffee. Morning coffee. Call the show. Hit it. 903-2945, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, returns after these on Talk 94.5. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk Everybody, welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, eight twenty-two on the Grand Strand on your Saturday morning. Hope your Saturday morning's going well. Thank you for tuning us in, letting us help you get your Saturday morning going. Interesting stuff, and it's uh, getting into the holiday season. Uh, Glenn, you got any big plans for Christmas? Travel plans? Anything major? No, no travel plans. I'll be here taking care of business. All right, very good, very good. We'll be uh, we'll be sticking mostly around. We may take a trip between Christmas and New Year's. We'll have to think about how that may impact the show. But yep. uh, want to remind everybody that you, uh, in addition to the uh, call in lines, you can now catch Saturday Morning Coffee as an Apple podcast. Uh, we should be on Google Play at some point. Look at you. But uh, you can catch us on Apple Podcast by searching Saturday Morning Coffee and catch back episodes in case you miss one or want to listen in your car on the way to work. And uh, we'd uh, appreciate you tuning in, downloading the podcast, signing up for updates. Um, and uh, hopefully that'll uh, that'll be something good, and you guys will enjoy it. We've got uh, an update for you. Always looking out for uh, where your rights are under attack. We always want to be aware of uh, issues of people's uh, free speech and other constitutional rights being abridged. Interesting, and uh, we were talking last week about a case where we represented a couple that was uh, sued um, for writing a letter to the editor that was uh, somewhat critical. Uh, justified, frankly, somewhat critical of an elected official, and that elected official sued our clients. And so we take very seriously uh, the First Amendment. It's critical to our freedom. All other freedoms hang on the ability to criticize your government, as we discussed last week. If you cannot criticize your government, then nothing else really matters because you cannot uh, change what you cannot criticize. But there's an interesting First Amendment case coming out of uh, California. This comes to us by way of the Life Legal uh, Defense Foundation. Citizen journalists are to be tried on criminal charges. You remember the stories where they interviewed the, um, the abortion clinic providers, and they interviewed them, and they, they took the video of those interviews, and that interview, those, those videos made their way out onto the Internet. Citizen journalists involved in that effort to uncover the activities of Planned Parenthood are now being pursued criminally by the attorney general in the state of California. A San Francisco judge has ruled that citizen journalist David DeLeden and Sandra Merritt will head to trial for allegedly eavesdropping on conversations with Planned Parenthood executives. They, the two journalists, recorded footage in crowded venues to show that abortionists were engaged in illegal trafficking 
of baby body parts, Mm. uh, which they were. California Attorney General Xavier Becerra has filed, filed previously 14 counts of felony eavesdropping and one count of conspiracy against the two journalists. In September of this year, San Francisco Superior Court Judge uh, Christopher Height held a two-week preliminary hearing to determine whether the AG had sufficient evidence to proceed to trial. A key issue in the eavesdropping cases was whether the video recordings captured private conversations that the speakers did not expect to be overheard. The trial judge in the case has now ruled that most of the discussions in public restaurants, such as the one featuring abortionists who were boasting about crushing above or crushing below uh, to recover intact body parts uh, as she was sitting there, you know, sipping her wine, (laughs) were not private conversation pursuant to California eavesdropping law. And so six of the 14 eavesdropping counts were dismissed. However... The journalists, Daleden and Merritt, now go to trial on the eight remaining eavesdropping charges, many of which stem from conversations recorded at the National Abortion Federation NAF annual meeting. And also the conspiracy charge will continue as well. The attorney general has sought to seal from public view all exhibits, including the video evidence showing the abortionists selling the baby parts for profit in violation of federal law. The attorney general sought to seal the court record so that you and I could not see any of that information. But the trial judge, Judge Height, has declined to seal the exhibits, citing the two defendants' constitutional right to a public trial. So uh, that's good. The criminal trial is expected to begin at the end of January, but that's just one example of uh, free speech under attack and want to make you aware of it. We'll be following that case, um, important case. Another interesting uh, episode of free speech under attack comes to us by way of the efforts of the Alliance Defending Freedom. I've mentioned to you guys the Alliance before. This, this story comes to us uh, concerning the case of Peter Vlaming. Peter, I think that's cor- correct. He's a High school teacher, he teaches or taught, should I say, past tense, taught French at the West Point High School in West Point, Virginia. He also did a lot of other things. He coached, uh, he sponsored clubs, he was a coach. He also drove a school bus. Last year, a favorite student of his, this is his writing, by the way, a favorite student of mine, yes, we have favorites, told me that she had come to a major decision. She wanted to start identifying as a boy. She also wanted to adopt a masculine name. In my French class, I invite students to choose a French name, so she asked permission to adopt a new masculine, masculine name. I agreed. Hmm. I even gave all my other students a chance to choose new French names so that she would not be singled out. She would have preferred that I refer to her by masculine pronouns also, but I chose not to do that. Instead, I endeavored to avoid pronoun usage altogether uh, for this student, which is not usually hard to do or even noticeable in the classroom. But her decision did concern me. This is, again, the teacher's own words, uh, his uh, uh, piece that he wrote. And my decision about the pronouns reflected that. As a language teacher, I think pronouns mean something. And, of course, I don't know if you speak French, but French is, you know, everything is assigned a masculine or a feminine gender. Uh, You know, a pencil is un crayon, and a pen is un stylo. 
dividend. Mm. So hey, if, I, a, if I had to choose a name, I would be ho 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 ho. That's what my name and would be. I learned that from Pierre Delecto. <laughs> Pierre Delecto taught me that. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, as a language teacher, I think pronouns mean something. We are born male or female. Our biology makes us, and the distinction is easy to identify. Whatever we feel, and however strongly we may feel it, does not change objectively our identifiable biological gender Hmm. to pretend otherwise even in something like the pronouns that we use is to live or indulge a lie that goes against my training again this is uh french teacher peter vlamings words that goes against my training as a teacher and my uh sincere and deep beliefs as a christian Still, the compromise worked well enough until the day they were uh, on a class activity and this student, this particular student, was about to walk into the wall. They were blindfolded and they were doing the, you know, trust game. Okay. So the teacher, not wanting the student to walk into a wall, screamed out, don't let her hit the wall. He reported, now this is to me astonishing, that that, that just saying, hey, don't let her hit the wall would be a self-report incident but apparently for teachers today this was a self-reporting incident i reported the incident to school administrators immediately after class explaining that it had been an accident Uh, does that not strike you as odd uh that strikes me as very odd and hindsight is i guess he should have let him strike the wall well, uh, you wonder. One, one uh, clearly, he would have been better off to let the student yeah. simply run into the, the student water. wouldn't have been better no, off. But to complain about off. it, I mean, but to have to to feel the need to report that in some sort of formal yeah. capacity to your supervisors yeah. makes me wonder what sort of cloud teachers must be laboring under. Really, oh. so he reported himself, explaining that it had been an accident. But the student told her mother. This again, his mm. words. The mother complained to the principal, and by the end of the day. I was placed on administrative Wow. Leave. I mean, is that not, is that not insane? Did am, he, I, am I missing something? He, he knew the girl as a girl until the girl wanted to identify as a boy. Yes, he was, a, not but, only was she a long-term student, she was one of his favorite students. Right. Yeah. So, therefore, I would think a easy mistake, but I think, Mom, opportunity. Um Absolutely. Taking advantage in an opportunity and going to probably cost somebody their job, which is ridiculous. But nonetheless, Mm. the administrators did not care about the circumstances or any explanation. Start using the pronouns that the student wants to hear, they said, or else lose your job. Wow. I told them I could not do that. I think at that point it was just a matter of principle. And I would honestly, if, if somebody treated me like that, I think I would respond. I know I would. I would respond the same way. At that point, I told them I could not do that. And they fired me. There was a public meeting at which time many of my students and their families showed up to support me. A large group of those students and others walked out of their classes the next day to communicate their respect for me and offer solidarity with my position. Mm. None of that seemed to matter very much. My excellent work record, my willingness to accommodate this one student, my coaching, my sponsoring of clubs, my driving a school bus, my, my efforts to console with the family, my considerable effort, efforts to avoid offending the student, all for naught. Uh, the individual in question, <clears throat> Mr. Peter Vlaming, high school French teacher, fired for misgendering. Wow. A wow. student. 
So have you misgendered anybody, Glenn? You need to be uh, very careful. No, I, I haven't. And yeah. I actually I actually worked with somebody that um, uh, in my previous career that changed. Um, you know, I, I met that person as, let's just say, uh, Charlie. And then Charlie wanted to be called something else. Yeah. And, and I encouraged, you know, live your life. Do what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, I'm not here to judge. There's only one judge. But... Nobody. The interesting question is, where do your rights end and my rights right. begin? Where does the right come from? If you know, if the student walks into the classroom and says, "Teacher, the sky is green," yeah, does this is the teacher obligated to say the sky is green? No, there's a balance in that relationship, and the balance is or should be, <clears throat> excuse me, in favor of the teacher. Yeah. The teacher is supposed to be the mentor in that relationship. Yep. The student is supposed to be the person who's learning. But they're flipping, they're flipping the relationship on its head. And they're saying the teachers have to respond to the, to the student and do what the student says. And if the student says the sky is green, then the teacher's got to say the sky is green. I'm a girl. Call me Mrs. I'm, I mean, just, it's, the world is turned on its head, y'all. We're, it's going. Next stop is Cuckoo Town. It's time to get off the train. <laughs> Crazy train. <laughs> Stick with us. We'll be right back with more craziness and more pleasantness with Saturday Morning Coffee. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't leave town. Local news and more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. Two full hours on Talk 94.5. I pulled into Nazareth. Was feeling about half past dead. I just need some place where I can lay my head. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, 838 on your Saturday morning. Hope it's going well. Starting to wrap up the bonus second cup hour of Saturday Morning Coffee. Hope you guys have enjoyed the show. I started to join in the harmony there, Glenn, but I, 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 it wouldn't have sounded pretty. It's it wouldn't hard have sounded not pretty. to. Yeah. Wouldn't have, it wouldn't have sounded pretty. A couple of local interest items for you guys. These come to us courtesy of the Myrtle Beach Herald, who's done some excellent reporting. Uh, Myori News, those guys just do excellent work. Um, uh, everybody over there just does really good work. Thankful for all that they do. This one is uh, from the Myrtle Beach Herald, Worthy of Justice. Over five years, this is a study of Atlantic Beach and criminal prosecutions in Atlantic Beach. Um, and interestingly enough, I haven't heard much about this elsewhere, but... A really big and concerning story. Over five years, they studied uh, records of uh, criminal prosecutions, arrests coming out of uh, Atlantic Beach, the Black Pearl. And um, as most of you are familiar with, 
the uh, municipality along the um, uh, along the coast, along the beach that is literally surrounded uh, by the town of North Myrtle Beach, but is its own separate municipal entity. Over five years, 75 percent of the most serious criminal cases in Atlantic Beach were dismissed. These cases included rape, child neglect and shootings. Um, and it talks in particular about the case of a woman by the name of Amanda Slocum. She had never heard of Atlantic Beach before a bus brought her to O'Ree County in August of 2018, wheelchair-bound and recovering from a shooting in Florida, ironically. Mm, wow. She found herself in Myrtle, uh, excuse me, in Atlantic Beach. The 30-year-old, 33-year-old had planned to visit a friend on the North Strand. She checked in to the Budget Inn in Atlantic Beach for one night. While she was there, what was supposed to be a fun trip uh, after her trauma in Florida became its own horror. She told the Atlantic, Be- Atlantic Beach police that she was raped by a man at the motel who said he was established in town and would be untouchable if she went to the cops, according to a police report obtained by the paper. Hmm. The suspect, John Timmons Jr., was arrested after the interview, yet charges were dismissed when no one from the police department showed up at Timmons's preliminary court hearing. I felt like they figured I wasn't, like, worthy of justice, Slocum said. It's not the woman's fault. Such a case is, unfortunately, not an anomaly in Atlantic Beach. Interviews with attorneys and victims, as well as a review of five years of public records, show the town's prolonged and systemic failure to investigate and prosecute criminal cases. Hmm. At MyOreNews.com, the North Strand News investigation found that 75% of Atlantic Beach's General Sessions court warrants, those are, that's the criminal side, General Mm -hmm. Sessions, 75% of the General Sessions warrants, those reserved for the most severe crimes, were dismissed without an indictment. Just 9% of the cases in Atlantic Beach resulted in a guilty plea. In contrast, 91% of O'Ree County warrants to General Sessions from 2014 through 2018 resulted in successful prosecution, hmm. meaning the accused was punished in some fashion. In some cases, Atlantic Beach police simply did not show up to court. In other cases, the police department never sent prosecutors key documents or evidence. And then there's quotes from various individuals involved in what, what a ridiculous state of affairs. It is Myrtle Beach attorney Justin Lovely of the Lovely Law Firm said criminal defense attorneys normally get easy cases from the town because it has, has historically has, has had an unorganized police department. They're not going to prosecute anything, he said. In Slocum's case, she never heard from the police after her initial interview and hospital stay. Police never told her when Timmons would come up for court. Uh, Ask about the situation. Solicitor Jimmy Richardson said the percentage uh, that low is not normal, talking about percentage of prosecutions, but because Atlantic Beach makes up a small fraction of the roughly 10,000 cases his office handles every year, he wasn't necessarily aware of this particular issue. He said his office is under a case management order from from a judge that dictates they move 80% of the cases within a year. To meet that deadline, his office generally requires the police to return to turn over evidence within 30 days of the arrest. If that deadline is not met, met the case is dismissed, Richardson said. <sighs> we have a case management system that calls for evidence or discovery to be sent over within the first 30 days because we've got to send it up to the defense attorneys, Richardson said. If we don't get it, we can't send it out, and we certainly can't go forward 
with those cases. There were times, another interesting quote from Senator Greg Hembree talking about the mismanagement and other issues in Atlantic Beach. There were times, numerous times, when they, speaking of Atlantic Beach, did not have a police department or they would not have a city judge or they would not have any city court. And all the city warrants would just build up. They'd just be sitting there. So rather astonishing, frankly, but just remind everybody that as victims, you have the right to know about court proceedings. The South Carolina Constitution gives rights to that you as a victim have the right to be reasonably informed about court proceedings uh, regarding your accused. Again, Atlantic Beach police officers never made contact with Amanda Slocum, according to this story. Following her initial hospital interview where she reported being raped, she was never told when the man she accused of rape, John Timmons, would appear in court. There are a whole bunch of constitutional rights that require a degree of information sharing and coordination. And the fact is that wasn't done in this case and and apparently, according to this story, many other cases. That's amazing. Unbelievable. In in 2010, the census, uh, the population of Atlantic Beach, guess what that number is? It's very low. Yeah, 334. Yeah, yeah I was going to say less than and then And then seven years later, census in 2017, uh, 409. So in, in seven years, 75 people moved to Atlantic Beach. And you would think that it would be such a small population, it would be easy to get a handle on what you just discussed. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know how big their police force is, but. Another interesting story we'll touch on. Um, Come back from the break. Briefly, we can do that right after the break. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do a break. We'll come back right after these words from our sponsors. Stick with us. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. I will fight. I will fight for you. I always do until my heart is black and blue. I will fight for you. Good morning. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. It's Reese Boyd, 849 on your Saturday morning. Just uh, got a tweet, uh, Glenn, from one of our listeners. Tommy in uh, Merle's Inlet has uh, asked us to, (laughs) he's uh, a little late to the game, uh, Tommy, but we love you anyway. (laughs) Uh, Great show. Put the, and I'm going to delete the expletive, put the phone number out there. So, Tommy, thanks for listening. Uh, the number to reach us uh, on the dial-in line, as we have discussed many times. How many times have we put the number out today? Mm, probably four or five times. Yeah, I'm, I've lost count, Tommy. Yeah. Tommy, you need to put it in your uh, speed dial in your phone. Hit, hit the speed dial. 843-903-2945 is the text line. Uh, no, that's the call-in number. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the yeah. call-in number. The, yeah, so, Tommy, you can text us. Text us at 843-798-8255. We've got one more local item of interest that I wanted. Sadly, this exciting, fun-filled episode of Saturday Morning Coffee <laughs> is drawing to a conclusion, Not, notwithstanding the fact that we now have the second bonus hour, the second cup hour. Right. Uh, this also coming to us from the, our good friends at the Myrtle Beach Herald. Um, it looks like uh, the, the, the fate of the settlement regarding the uh, hospitality fee tax litigation, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the ongoing litigation saga between the county 
and the respective cities within the county where the county was collecting within the city uh, borders a uh, the uh, hospitality uh, fee. That litigation appears to be set for a up or down vote this week, so we'll be interested to see how that resolves itself. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say I'm I'm not uh, optimistic that the settlement will be approved, but we'll see what happens. But that's my prediction. One other item I wanted, or a couple of items I wanted to get to y'all before we close. Uh, technology is an interesting uh, point. We actually had a Google employee that was slated to join us on the show today who subsequently contacted me and said uh, they'd rather not be on the air. I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to come on a talk show and talk about your employer if your employer is Google and you're concerned about what your employer is doing. But nonetheless, we respect that, obviously. Maybe we'll get them on in the future. But there, there, is, a very, there is a very concerning dynamic at work uh, in, 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 in the culture and society, and that is the incredible power that these tech companies have. You know, we have a, a Facebook page for Saturday Morning Coffee, and this past week, maybe might have been week before last, this, but recently I was posting something on Facebook, and the, uh, the item was a meme, and it was about uh, Colin Kaepernick. Okay. And it was, uh, it was like, let me get this straight, Nike pays Kaepernick millions of dollars to protest uh, inequality, basically, while Nike simultaneously makes millions of dollars off of the backs of what is effectively slave labor in the third world when they pay people $3 a day to sew their sneakers together, which is an incredible, an incredible hypocrisy on the part of Nike. And And I don't know that those facts are absolutely correct. I don't know that the people... Uh, who are sewing the shoes make three dollars a day or thirty dollars a day yeah. or less yeah, or thirty right. cents a day. I yeah. don't know. But I posted I think the essential point is one that bears sharing. But I posted that meme on our fa- on the Saturday morning uh, coffee Facebook page. And interestingly enough, I didn't even find out about it first. One of the one of our uh, somebody who follows the page said, Hey there's a there's a you know your post is is grayed out unavailable on my facebook feed and it's like the 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 legitimacy of this post is under review well it was after the fact after people who had seen it had already indicated to me that it had been po- that it had been questioned by facebook i got a message saying that this post has been uh, deleted or is not is not going to be published because it, you know it's not it doesn't meet facebook guidelines hmm. and the accuracy of the uh, of the of the information has not been ascertained and so for a while I couldn't even post to the Facebook page. So while that whole thing was transpiring, I tried to post something about it, and the post was w- would not go through. I could post on my personal page, but I could not post on the Saturday morning coffee page. Huh. And so it, just an example for me of just how Im- incredible uh, the amount of power that these technology companies have. YouTube, owned by Google, Alphabet, is now in the process of revising their uh, end-user agreement and the terms of use and the and the and the the hate the the hate speech and that that's the issue. What we're going to find is more and more these policies that they say are aimed at eliminating hate speech are going to begin to become more and more difficult for conservatives to navigate their way through, because much of what conservatives believe is at risk very, <laughs> very soon. Of being designated as hate speech, and that's very that's very concerning, 
And, um, you know, I, we've got to be very vigilant about this. I'm not exactly sure where this is going, but, you know, my, uh, my, one of my children is a TikTok user, and I'd never heard much about <laughs> TikTok, but I started poking around on the Internet over the last couple of weeks because I, my, my child was using it. I wanted to find right. out what TikTok is all about. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I noticed that there was a, a video that had been posted by a young person communicating the way TikTokers communicate. And I thought to myself, well, if this is just a game that we play because ki- as kids and we've all been there where we want to communicate in a way that our parents don't really get. Right. Then, hey, no problem. It'll pass. It's yeah. a phase. But if this is the future of communication in this culture, we have a problem. Oh, I'm going to be hearing a whole lot of okay, boomer. Yeah, okay, yeah. boomer. Yeah. So, are you a boomer? I'm a boomer, sure. Oh, man. Yeah. I didn't know why. Oh, man, I'll have to get you a, can I, can I get you a walker? Am I going to have oh, geez, to help I'm you I'm giving out away my age. Oh, no, man. I'm good. I feel, oh, you, I feel, feel good? like a very young you man. Look, you, look like, you look like an exer. You look like an exer. TikTok is the world's fastest growing social media app and has been downloaded more than 1.5 billion times globally, 122 million times in the United States alone. And I can tell you that uh, the, if, you're, if you have a child between the ages of 9 and 13, they are on TikTok more than likely if they have access uh, to the TikTok uh, app. It's, uh, for the many months, it was the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 app download. It, it's got a spot on Ellen. Uh, it spurred an intergenerational class war. It also failed to prevent, it's also failed to prevent child predators. It's been used as a recruitment tool for ISIS. Interestingly enough, it's also a Chinese-owned app, so it's in the mm. interesting position of being the first, or I guess not the first necessarily, but a Chinese-owned app that is now an international hit. And until, until recently, in almost every country outside of China, this is a quote from Mark Zuckerberg, by the way, until recently, the Internet in almost every country outside China has been defined by American platforms with strong free expression values. Now, that's Mark Zuckerberg's comment about TikTok. Hmm. Now, I just explained to you how I felt my freedom of speech was completely shut down by Facebook. I was in Facebook jail for a few hours. Yeah, you were. Now you've got Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg talking about what a threat to the freedom of speech rights of citizens that TikTok represents. So this is something that we have to be um, very aware of, very cognizant of. Y'all, we are headed into dangerous territory. We're in dangerous territory. That's the thing. I feel like we are the frog in the pot, and the water is getting hotter and warmer, and it's getting warmer by the minute, and we have got to be very vigilant. I don't know where this goes. I don't know how it gets solved because... You know, the, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, freedom of speech, all of that was designed to protect you from your government. It was not designed to protect you from Chinese corporations, from TikTok, from Google, from Alphabet, from Mark Zuckerberg, from Facebook, none of that. So we've got some very difficult questions to address. How do we protect the free speech rights of everyone on what are essentially private entities, but they are public fora. They are public marketplaces of information, I would argue. So we'll have to sort that out, but we need to be very aware of it. And we need, I think ultimately the argument is going to be that the internet is a public resource and there have to be some protections that apply to those that would use the internet. But we'll see where that goes. 
Thanks for joining us for Saturday Morning Coffee. I am Reese Boyd, your host. Feel free to drop by the office or call me at the office if we can help you in any way, 843-839-9800. Join us next week for another fun-filled, exciting fact rendition of Saturday Morning, fact-based rendition of Saturday Morning Coffee. I'll leave you with this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths.